Welcome to the Manager Track, the leadership podcast where we help ambitious managers across the ranks become confident and competent leaders people love to work for. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Manager Track podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how the Myers-Briggs or 16 types assessment can help you lead. Now, every single month, I hold a deep dive session with my clients about one particular assessment that they get access to through Cloverleaf, which is a personality type and behavioral type assessment platform that I provide to all my clients. And so I want to share some of these insights with you here on this podcast as well. Now, the reason why, in my view, assessments are really helpful in the context of personal and professional growth, it's not because it lets us put a label on who we are, but it's because it fuels so much self-discovery and therefore self-awareness of who we are, what our preferences are, and how we show up. And then also with those insights, it allows us to uncover some potential blind spots because we think we're doing something really well, but to someone else who has a different preference or different so-called personality type, they may classify our behavior as something that's annoying or confusing or frustrating. So when we go through the process of completing an assessment and then using the insights to fuel our self-awareness and the awareness of others, a tremendous amount of growth is possible. Now, as a bonus gift to you as a listener, I included down below in the show notes a link where you can set up a free account on Cloverleaf to take the 16 types assessment. This is the same assessment as the Myers-Briggs. It just is provided by a different company. So the 16 type assessment is linked to down below. So you can take the assessment for free. And I hope you take me up on this offer because this particular podcast may be more meaningful, but it also allows you to take these lessons and these insights even further. But don't worry, you do not need to have your type at hand and know and have gone through the assessment in order to learn from what I'm sharing here. A lot of what I'm going to talk about are about the four dichotomies of the Myers-Briggs or the 16 types assessment and how they may show up at work. And without going through the assessment, you will already be able to identify some of the examples that I'm giving you here and how they may show up for you or other people that you work with and then how you can use this information to better connect and communicate with people who have different preferences and a different style. Okay, with that said, let's dive in. Now, a quick history of Myers-Briggs. The foundation of the assessment is based on Dr. Carl Jung's work. He's a Swiss psychologist who published Psychological Types, the Psychology of Individuation in 1921. Now, Catherine Cook Briggs read the English translation of this published work in 1923, and she was really fascinated by the work. So later on, she and her daughter, Isabel Briggs Myers, actually used this information and built upon it and then turned it into the Myers-Briggs instrument, which was first published in 1963. So decades of work have gone into this. Catherine and Isabel also added a fourth dimension. So Carl Jung only developed three of the dichotomies and then Isabel and Catherine developed the fourth dichotomy, which is not what we now consider the Myers-Briggs assessment or 16 types assessment. 
So while this assessment is at times criticized for its validity, a lot of time, effort and work has gone into developing the assessment and make it as useful and as reliable as possible over the last hundred years. It's also the reason why about 75% of the Fortune 500 companies are using it or have used the Myers-Briggs assessment in their organizations. So in the US and and worldwide, this is a well-known and um, popular assessment tool. Now, overall in the industry, the consensus is that it's not a good instrument to use to make hiring decisions because it does not predict behaviors or performance. So unlike, for example, the DISC assessment that measures more of the external behaviors, the Myers-Briggs or 16 types assessment actually talks a little more about how we interact with the world and how we think. So specifically, it covers four dimensions. It covers the energy style, the cognitive style, the value style, and then the self-management style. I'm going to walk you through those four styles or four dichotomies to help you see how they may show up for you and why different preferences at work can actually lead to better results when we're aware of them and when we don't fight it, but actually appreciate the diversity that we have on the team. One more quick thing that I want to add. When we look at these dichotomies or these dimensions, consider this to be on a scale. So let's talk about that first one. The first letter in that four-letter code that you will get at the end of taking your 16 types assessment. So with any of these dimensions, consider these to be on a scale from zero to 100. If you're at 50, you're like right in between and the, you're flexible and your approach and your preference is probably situational. So it depends on the circumstances of which way you would lean into. But if you have a really strong allocation to extroversion or a really strong preference for introversion, it's very likely that that's the way how you generally show up and interact with the world. Because again, you have a strong preference for that. So all of these four dimensions are actually on a scale. This is important to consider when you look at your results. For example, I personally have a high allocation to introversion. So that's generally how I show up and my preference. In the other dimensions, I'm pretty much on like a 60 or 55 range, which means that my preference is not that strong. And the way that I think or make decisions may depend on the situation. Okay. So that's important to keep in mind. Let's now look at that first dimension. So the first dimension is about extroversion and introversion. So extroversions, they like to work with others and be in a team and in spaces where they can interact. So they like to think out loud and to brainstorm and share their ideas and plans with others. When they say things, it's often the first time that they hear that thought themselves, right? So they think and immediately speak. That's typically how someone interacts with the world. It's in their head and it comes right out. The introvert, on the other hand, they're more focused on what's going on inside of them. And that's where they get energy from. The extrovert gets energy from interacting with others and the outer world. The introvert gets energy from quiet space, from being able to concentrate on their own thoughts and thinking things through on their own. Now, in meetings, for example, when you put introverts and extroverts together, it can quickly lead to that situation where the extroverts dominate the meeting and the introverts have a hard time getting their voices heard. 
So as a leader, when you notice this, you want to be considerate of how do you bring in the introvert's thoughts and their opinions so that you not only prevent missing out on their ideas, but also that you make sure that they're getting their voices heard in the meetings. Ways to do this would be to send out agendas ahead of time or to give them ample time to process information. So maybe you address something and then you say, let's follow up on this or continue the conversation next week. You can specifically call them out and say, and and John and Maria, I'd love to hear your opinion next week. You give them a heads up. They are able to think about it and then come prepare to the next conversation. Another consideration here with extroverts versus introverts for you personally and leading your team is that in a time where a lot of us work remotely, extroverts will probably have a harder time with it than introverts because extroverts miss that social interaction and being out there in in space with other people compared to introverts. So just being attuned with that and and making sure that they have the opportunity to have those informal Zoom chats, to have plenty of exposure to people is important. Now, the second dimension in that assessment is about how you take in information. There is what we call sensing and there's called intuition. So the second letter in your code would be either an S for sensing or an N for intuition. So people who are intuitive and who intuitive thinkers, they're way more imaginative and abstract. They're innovative and big picture thinking. They love to see the big purpose. Versus people who are sensors, that have the S in their four-letter code, they generally are more concrete and focus on facts and events and details. They rely on previous knowledge and experience, like the senses, they like to see it and feel it and know about it, practical, realistic. So if you think about planning out your second quarter with your team, You might have some intuitives in the room who are all about big picture, like vision. Let's go there. Let's talk about big strategy. And then you have some sensors there who are like, okay, this is like big level talk, but what does this actually mean? Like, let's break it down to our milestones and like our action plans. And they might get frustrated with those big idea conversations because they think, what does it actually mean to me? Give me an answer. Or intuitives might get frustrated with sensors because they think that they're all talking about the tactical stuff, but no one's talking about the big idea and the vision and the purpose. They don't understand why they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They understand the tacticality of it. They understand the milestones, but they're like, but why? I need to know the purpose. I need to see that big vision. And that is missing to me. So when you notice this on your team, and this is what's so awesome with assessments and having these conversations that come out of it, is to recognize that when you start appreciating the differences, you'll be able to create way better solutions and results than if you just consider your way to be the right way. So someone who might be really tactical, they may think like, oh, I hate this like big level thinking. Let's just get tactical. But they miss the point that your team actually benefits from having both approaches and it's recognizing how these two play together. When you do an assessment like this and you see this black and white and how your team allocation is across the 16 types, you'll be able to leverage this information 
and talk about it and then stop getting frustrated with each other because you see this is just a natural preference this is how they're wired and I can't change other people it's hard enough to change ourselves so let go of the idea that you can change other people nor that you should it's a good thing that they have a different style to yours when you start understanding how much you benefit from that diversity and you appreciate the diversity Actually, a funny example here. In that training that I did with my clients last week, I showed everyone a painting and I had them look at it for a minute or so and jot down some things that came to mind. When we did a quick debrief on this, I asked them what they saw. The first person who spoke was a sensor. So her preference is to think like concrete and in the details. She noticed, for example, that there were letters in the painting. She noticed a star at the bottom right. Then I asked another person and that other, other person had a preference for intuition. And that person talked about, oh, I can see order at the same time. So they were looking at this as an abstract painting and like imagined what it could represent. Both people were looking at the exact same painting. Two completely different observations. And use this as an analogy to how this happens at work. When you look at a project plan or a slide deck, these two people may be looking at the exact same thing, but their takeaways are completely different. And oftentimes we miss that point. We think that the way that we see the world is how everyone else would see the world, right? That's our basic assumption, unless you tell me otherwise. But what I'm suggesting is, consider it to be the default that others don't see it your way and so start with curiosity and so like here's how I see it but I never make that assumption that that's also what you're seeing so tell me what you're seeing let's talk about it because there's a high chance that we're looking at it and seeing two completely different things good now let's move on to the third dichotomy the third dichotomy or dimension here is between thinking and feeling now the leather in your assessment result would either be a T or an F. People who are thinkers, they like to make decisions based on logic and reason. They like to be objective. So what they typically would do is they would step away from the situation and then try to be as objective as possible and as rational and logical as possible. The feelers, the people with with a higher allocation of feeling with an F in their code, they would tend to want to look at the relationship and they would tend to step into the situation. They value the relationships and the connections a lot more about the people and the unique circumstance of that person than it is about the task or the logic. So they want to make sure that at work there's this personal touch and they feel appreciated and they're being compassionate and empathic. A thinker, on the other hand, may want to make sure that everyone's treated fairly and equally regardless of the unique circumstances or of the unique relationship or connection that's there. And you can probably already foresee how that might create conflict on a team if you don't recognize the reason why we look at one situation differently. The thinkers want to step back and look at it objectively and be rational about it. The feeler wants to lean in and look at the connection, the relationship, the values, the unique situation there. Knowing this, by the way, will increase your persuasion skills because the moment you start realizing how someone else makes decisions, you can now tailor your arguments to better meet their thinking style. So if I'm talking to someone who's a thinker, I will be a lot more logical and rational 
and objective with my arguments than if I'm talking to a feeler. If I try to persuade a feeler, I will talk a lot more about the connection, the uniqueness, the personal support, the relationship, and the values. So this can be incredibly insightful for you as a leader. So now let's talk about that last dimension. This is about whether you have a preference to perceiving or judging. Judging, by the way, does not mean to judge other people. Judgers just appreciate organization and order. So they like to plan ahead. They don't like to change course once a plan is set. They like to stick to schedules and deadlines and to deliver results on time. What they don't like is to be in this unpredictable work environment and constant change. So a year ago, now March 2020, when everything was shifting and changing around them, someone who had a high preference for judging may have had a harder time adapting to the new reality than someone who was perceiving. So judging simply means that you plan ahead and you like to follow that schedule. Someone who's perceiving They appreciate a lot more of the flexibility at work. They like to be free and to adapt and change along the way. They prefer not to plan too much because they think that when they can roll with the punches, they'll be more effective. So someone who has a high preference for perceiving, they may have a harder time sticking to all the deadlines and doing all the steps in the right and planned order, but they may excel in situations that are unpredictable, where they have to act quick in the moment and be adaptive to change. That's where people with this preference really shine. So if you think about how you go about your day or how you go about your week, do you like it really structured? Do the people on your team like it really structured and they look for this order and organization and to plan ahead? Or do they reject it or resist the order and they just want to go with the flow and adapt in the moment? that will be an indicator of whether they're on that spectrum of judging or the spectrum of perceiving. The letters are given either a J or a P in your assessment results. Now, I personally am somewhat in the middle range, which means that I love planning out my weeks and my days. I'm really structured that way. And I feel that I am at my best when I plan out my week and I stick to that schedule. But then when it comes to meal planning, for example, That's when I completely resist it. I know that my family would benefit from me doing some meal planning and ordering food ahead and then knowing what to cook at what day. But there's this like really strong resistance because I just want to go with the flow. I want to make what I feel up to. Whether the kids are really hungry that day or not, I want to be able to decide in the moment of what I'm going to make for dinner. So someone who's close in the middle, this to me is really situational. And one part of my life, I have a strong preference to be judging to plan ahead and then another part of my life I have a strong preference to go with the flow and to adapt in the moment which is by the way why I love cloverleaf because it will not only give you that four letter code it will also tell you how strong your preference is so you will see oh like for me introversion I'm very far out there as being an introvert versus judging or perceiving I'm somewhat in the middle and that's really helpful to know So you as a leader, when you use these tools for yourself, but ideally also with your team, you can start exploring questions such as, what do we need when we make decisions? How do we like making decisions? And what should we pay attention to given our different preferences? How do we show up when we discuss or brainstorm in meetings? And how can we make sure that both extroverts and introverts are heard? 
how do we plan ahead and what do others need? When we think about someone who's judging or perceiving, how do we make sure people on the team who might have different preferences are being heard and able to adjust? And then also, what might be the root cause of stress? So we're thrown into a role that's completely opposite to our natural preference. This may cause stress. So for example, if I go to a conference and I'm with people for three days in a row, I'm completely wiped out after that. Not because I didn't enjoy it, not because I don't love talking to people and interacting with people. It just to me is draining my energy. So then I need to be able to have two days of sort of silence and introvert time to to digest and absorb all the information and experience that I had over the previous few days. So if someone is feeling burned out or stressed out to figure out how could we possibly shift some of the work or how the team works in order to alleviate some of that stress. And these are just a few questions to consider based on the Myers-Briggs or the 16 types assessment. Now, as I said, if you've never taken the assessment and you don't know your four-letter result, check out the show notes down below. You can take the assessment for free on Cloverleaf. If you are someone who's leading a team and you would love to go take your team through this, so you not only know your own result, but you also know everyone else's result and then get to have that conversation to figure out how to better communicate and work with each other so that you stop getting frustrated at each other and instead start appreciating the diversity on the team and leverage each other's preferences and strength, then send me a message at contact at RamonaShaw.com and we can talk about ways I can help you and your team get access to this information and have this so important and invaluable conversation that will help your team members feel more fulfilled, heard, understood, and for your team to to better work and communicate with each other to reduce potential conflict and stress factors at work, especially in a time like this when we're working remote and we're dealing with a lot of complexity and constant change. This is one of the tools that I personally find so incredibly helpful. So again, if you want to learn more, email me at contact at RamonaShaw.com and grab your free assessment down below and feel free to share that link in this episode out with other people that you think might benefit from having this information and these insights to help them become more effective at work and to better support each member on their team. And that's what I got for you today. If you found this episode valuable, I would so appreciate if you could head over to the podcast platform that you're listening to it, give it a five-star review. It literally takes a few seconds, but it would mean so much to me and it would help other leaders just like you find this information and be able to apply it at work. And as a result of that, it supports the mission of helping to develop leaders and teams people love to work with. So more people feel fulfilled and are engaged and thriving at work. Thank you so much and I'll see you next week. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.